welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised, some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Carrie and Peter. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Hey, Carrie, what are some things that you want to talk about that shit most people don't want to talk about? You know, um, along with so many people in the world, um, I probably could write a book about shit that I don't want to talk about. But the thing that I really love to talk about is um, the idea and the fact that a person can come back from alcoholism and be successful and live a rewarding, uh, wonderful life. Um, what I have found in my life is, honestly, the realization that life can be so amazing. Thinking back to my um, childhood and my 27 years as an alcoholic, I really had no idea that there was anything outside of alcoholism. I felt really unworthy of even the simplest things. Um, a kind word or gesture from anybody in my world was something that I was not worth, worth, I guess, wasn't worthwhile. Now, where I am in my life, um, actually, uh, in seven days, I will have my six-year sober anniversary. So <laughs> you've kind of caught me at the right time because I'm doing a lot of reflection right now about um, sobriety and understanding it's just two different worlds to think back to the world I was living in and the world that I live in now. I just can't believe that I'm even the same person or that this is the same life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I was uh, very traumatized as a child. And although I still have those feelings in me, like I understand that I was treated terribly by some of the people that mattered most in my life. I am, no longer a victim of that. And uh, so I think when you say, what is it that you want to talk about? Just want to talk about the art of survival, I guess. Ooh, now I feel like you just figured out the name for your book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and who is this gentleman next to you uh, coming on the ride with this uh, adventure of the podcast today? He doesn't uh, always like me to say it the way I do, but honestly, he is my hero. He is the one person in the world that loved me enough to make me understand um, that I was worthy of being loved. My dog. <laughs> he does not like being, uh, he doesn't like being locked out. He's got some tra trauma of his own. I'm sorry. I just hear him like as you're talking and I'm just like, what? But it makes so much more sense that it's your dog. And as you're, you're talking about Peter, I love that he is, as soon as you said that he's your hero, he goes across and says Spider-Man. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly why I was hoping you were wearing that shirt today. <laughs> it's normally my Superman shirts I wear, but yeah. There you go. Got to switch it up a little bit. Now, be, before we go and dive into your past, Carrie, can you kind of, both of you, tell us a bit of 
how y'all met, how, like, where were you in your, what it looked like for you, Carrie, when you met Peter, because I believe you met before you were sober, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Peter and I actually met on Plenty of Fish. Um, I was uh, very close to rock bottom in my alcoholism, but Peter didn't have any idea about that. Peter didn't know that I was an alcoholic until we moved in together. Um, do you want to say something about that? Um, for for me, um, I'm, I'm a pretty simple person. Uh, you know, a lot of things don't bother me. I, I, I've had some... I've had some pretty uh, uh, bad relationships myself, uh, so I've seen the worst of the worst of people lots. And the one thing that I always came to was, if like if I would come home or something and and found that she'd been drinking, and if she wanted to talk, I'm done. I'm talk. We'll talk tomorrow. You know. And I was like that. And I'm pretty. I'm pretty easy with it. Uh, we nothing ever got beyond it. You know. I didn't drink with her, so I wasn't it. it was never a combatant thing, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's not like it was, there was anything physical or anything like that. Right. Like most of the time it was her dogging herself. that mm-hmm. was anything towards me. Right. Never once did she say, I hate you and I wish you would just leave or anything like that, that a lot of people go through. Uh, so it was really easy for me. Um, I found that I was, I felt worse hearing from other people that she had a drinking problem. That's what drove me more, more, uh, you know, it, and what it did is actually made me want to protect her more, you know, and be there. And, and I'm just like, you know, I, I said to her one day, she asked me, she goes, how do you feel about my drinking? I said, you know what? I said, if I have to take you two days or three days a week drunk and I get you four days a week sober, I'll take those four days anytime, you know, and, and that's how it was. And, I, you know, I, I, I came home every every day I came home and all I ever wanted to do was just be with her. So the rest of it didn't matter. You know, it, even through the alcohol and stuff like that, I knew how she felt about me. Right. It, uh, when we met, I had told a bunch of friends of mine that I worked with uh, because we didn't see each other after we went out a couple of times that we didn't see each other for, I believe it was like six months. Oh, wow. Okay. She wasn't ready for a relationship. And I had said to my buddies that, uh, you know, I said, there's something about this girl. I said, because no matter what I say, she could continue my sentence or, or, you know, she would give me the feedback that I was looking for, um, in whether it was comical or just routine, uh, just in life. Right. Like I'd say something about, you know, how do you feel about grandkids and how do you feel about this or, or that? And if she answered my thoughts, that's, that's all that mattered because I'd never had that before. Everything was always, you say something, you get something different every time. And it's, it's it, the seven years we've been together, it's always been that way. You know, it's, it, life's just easy. For, so like I, I said, I just, I just never fed it. I never fed it. When she, if she was drinking, I never fed her. And that, so, and that so makes sense. And really quick, for our listeners that are not watching on the YouTube channel because this is on YouTube. So that way everyone can see we come in different shapes and sizes. We, it also does go to all of the podcast platforms, but uh, I'm seriously like melting over here. Just the way you're talking about her and the way Carrie lit up when we were doing our intro call, when, uh, when she was talking about you, I just, I just want to take that pause really quick. Cause I'm like, 
It's like even better with the two of you together. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm also just like, a, I'm, I'm like a sucker for love stories. So um, I appreciate you guys also letting me ask questions there. But Carrie, what was it like for you? Because this is a bit opposite. You were hiding your alcoholism from him. And how yeah. do you do that? Uh, I, I don't have that background. Like that's not something I've ever done. So I don't even know how to what that would look like to see signs in people we love. You know, uh, what happened was that it was impossible to hide from him. Um, when we had gone on the first couple of dates and I really, I really liked him. I just, he was just such a good guy, but you know what? He was so good that there must've been something wrong with him. And I just kept pushing him away. And so I actually called him up. Of course, you know, I was drunk the whole time. Um, the year, the year before we met and, and part of the year that, um, we really, um, became a couple was my worst year during my 27 years of alcoholism. So, you know, I was always drunk and I phoned him up and told him that I had moved a whole province away. <laughs> I can't see you anymore. I moved to Alberta <laughs> and, um, and he, you know, we said that we would talk on the phone still and be friends. I told him I wasn't ready for any type of commitment and I needed to go home to be with my family when really I was still in the same town we were in, but I was terrified oh. of him because I was not, I, I had never been treated kindly by any man that I was ever with. I realized now, you know, I thought that I had been, um, and there was one relationship where it wasn't that he wasn't not kind to me, but we just didn't love each other. So um, it wasn't, I had no idea what to expect from this. So when we were kind of forced uh, together uh, after about three months, I actually did move to Alberta and I phoned him and told him, I am going to, I'm going to go to Alberta. And he said, what, you're not there because um, I'm getting ready to go to Edmonton to find you. <laughs> And which I thought, oh no, he's a stalker. But <laughs> I, I went to Alberta and after being there for a couple of months, phoned him up and said, could we have a long distance relationship? I could really use your friendship in my life. And um, I'm, I'm not really, I don't want to be without you, but I'm just not ready to be in a really serious relationship. And he said, absolutely. And by the way, that mm. means I have to come see you. <laughs> so he hopped on a Greyhound and had the 13-hour bus ride to Edmonton. And um, he was supposed to be there for four days and ended up staying for 10. And um, that was that was it. We were pretty much inseparable after that. Mm -hmm. So a month later, I think, a month later, mm -hmm. my brother, who had a, um, a business, offered him a job. And honestly, he was supposed to stay at my brother's house. I told my brother, if you want to offer Peter a job, that's okay, but he's not moving in with me. I need at least one year on my own. I need to, and that was because I was an alcoholic and I didn't want Peter to know. I didn't want mm -hmm. to have to, I didn't want to not be able to drink every night, you know, and I didn't want, I, it wasn't that I was afraid he would keep me from it, but I was afraid he'd see who I really was. And so he got to Alberta. We picked him up at the airport, went to my brother's house, and my brother's wife said, what is he doing here? I never approved this. He can't live here. So we moved in together. And uh, then Peter really got to know the real me. And truth be known, it's really hard to keep my emotions here because I'm not proud of what Peter saw in me. 
But yeah. Um, yeah, it was the hardest year, but Peter made it the easiest year, you know? And that, um, that's truly amazing because before we, we go into now that you two have moved in, I'd really like to hear a bit more of what did life look like be, before we got to this point? You have 27 years of alcoholism and that's a shit like I know that I I feel like I'm like, I, I want to ask questions, but I don't want to ask questions because it it brings up so many emotions when, as you just said, because it was such a dark time, it was it's it was you don't necessarily want to show someone that side of you and uh, just in my own life, uh, with Tyler, I actually broke up with Tyler, uh, for three months before we got back together and he's my human. He's not going anywhere. He has to see that nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. I'm going through therapy and canceling my episode recordings with you guys because something came up in therapy that I had to work through and that mm -hmm. wasn't a fun night, but I really appreciate your patience. But what, what led up to all of this and not being your darkest year? What, how did you, How'd your beginning start? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, um, it, it actually it actually really started to spiral out of control when, um, you know, I left my second husband um, and I stopped pretending that I was okay. I started partying and going out with my friends. I was not a good mother to my children. Um, alcohol came first always. And um, I just let the alcohol take over and I ended up in a relationship with a man who wasn't good for me. He, he didn't want to be settled down with a woman and two children. He wanted um, to have a lifestyle and a woman to make his meals and clean his house. And um, what I really loved about the relationship with him was that I could drink anytime I wanted and I was never ridiculed because we were, we were on that ride together. And um, Things got really bad because that's when I lost control of my drinking. And uh, he he had a pretty bad drug problem. And uh, I had gotten to the point where I said, if you don't quit doing drugs, we can't be together. And he had, um, he, he had tried to quit and um, had a bad night where he really wanted to go and get some you know, cocaine. And I said, no, he couldn't have my debit card. And he um, attacked me physically that night. So that ended that relationship. Thank goodness, because it was, you can tell just from the conversation that it was a really volatile place in my life um, mm -hmm. and with him. So that ended that relationship. And that sent me spiraling um, just before that relationship ended. Social services took my teenage daughter away. Um, my older her older sister had left a year and a half before due to my drinking. Um, I was kind of, my family was at a place where they were not speaking to me anymore. Um, they, my sister had not, um, she had not spoken to me and said, if you don't quit drink, I'm drinking, I want nothing to do with you, but she might as well have because it was obvious, you know? So I, uh, woke up, I woke up on a couch on a um, native reserve on somebody's couch, um, drunk still, and thought, what am I doing here? What, where am I? I had sold my car to party. Um, I had no clothing. Uh, like I had a, like a garbage bag full of like rags, basically. 
I had nothing, no family, no nothing. Um, and that was the day that I realized I needed, I really did need to go home, right? I needed to uh, find somewhere to exist and maybe try to pick up the pieces in my life. So it's really strange. I had a friend that, you know, from BC to Alberta is from where I was in BC to my hometown is about 1300 kilometers. And um, my best friend's cousin happened to be um, in the area I was at visiting his family. And I saw that he was there by Facebook. And I just messaged him and said, I'm in trouble. I need to get back to Alberta. Can you take me home? And he did. He came and picked me up at five o'clock in the morning, the very next morning. And um, I got in <laughs> and went home. I spent some time with family, friends. Um, I, like I kind of couch hopped up until Peter came and then we got a place together. So I really literally was homeless and really looking back, I cannot believe um, where I ended up. And I'm actually very, very fortunate because um, that rock bottom for me is really a pretty nice soft landing compared to what can happen to some people. Um, I'm lucky that, you know, um, over the years, I never got hooked on drugs. I managed to keep my drug of choice alcohol. Um, and so alcohol will kill you, but it takes its time. And hopefully you can wake up and get sober before it's time. Yeah. So, yes, um, to think about that, um, I, I feel that it's a miracle that um, I've survived. And, and thank you for that. And it, it truly is because I, I know in, in my own times of my journey that there's times where I didn't know where I was or why I was there. And I also didn't know how to go to anyone for support. I, I personally didn't have anyone to, to go home to, or let me say it this way. I didn't think I did. There, there mm -hmm. is a big difference. I had people that would have taken care of me. I just didn't think that they would. And mm -hmm. Peter, I, at this point, I know you guys have been married for how long? This. At what point? Today? Yeah. By, by now, by today. How long have you guys been married? <laughs> we're, going, we're going on three years. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so by now you definitely have, have heard these stories and you hear of Carrie going on these podcasts and sharing her stories and we will get to the business. I promise I'm excited about that one, but <laughs> how, how do you handle hearing her going through this? And also when she decided to stop drinking, like how, how has this all affected you and being instead of just being the person going through this, you're the person supporting them. Yeah. And that, that, that's my role. That's all there is. That's, that's it. And, and I've told people that too. Um, when Carrie decided to go to treatment, I took her, I took her there and I dropped her off and we had certain times we could visit. I believe we had an hour on Wednesday nights, an hour on Monday nights. And we had, I believe between, it was like an eight-hour timetable on a Saturday that we could come. Um, so I did. I showed up every time. Um, and so she would have meetings while, we, while I was there visiting. visiting. And I was like, they're like, yeah, you, you know, she's going to go to an AA meeting. So you can go to a, an, um, sorry, um, an Al-Anon meeting, right, for supporters. And I'm like, well, why would I do that? I want to go with you. I want to be there with you, right? 
so we did. We started going to AU meetings together. We've been to we've actually been to a few of them. We haven't recently because I don't know. I don't know. If she, I don't know. I'll go when she needs to go. If she needs to go. We'll go. It's, it's as simple as that, right? It's not a matter of we should go or we shouldn't go. It's, if she needs to go, we'll go. That's just it. Um, so, as, you know, like in in the, the normal routine is you go around the room and you explain who you are. So my thing was always, you know, my name's Peter. I'm not an alcoholic, but my wife is. And that's why I'm here. Because I need to understand this. I need to understand what she goes through, you know, or what anybody goes through. And being there really helped. Um, there was a young couple at one of the meetings that they were doing. And the gentleman's wife, and like, I mean, like, she looked like she was, I bet she was tw- early 20s and whatnot. And the whole time she kept belittling him. It's your fault. It's you. It's you. It's you. And I don't have to do this. And I don't have to do that. And I stopped her right dead. And I said, you know what? That's not how it works. Um, I've never had a drinking problem. I wasn't much of a drinker. I didn't care for the bar scene. I'd rather sit at home and play video games. That was me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, you're in it with them. And, you know, like when she was drinking, she'd be like, come on, drink with me. I'm not interested. I didn't like that. (laughs) She hated it, It, you know, because now there's no party. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but that, that's just it. Uh, That's why I'm here. And, And, you know, that's why I chose to be here. If she wants help, I'm, you're, you're darn you're darn skippy. I'm going to help her, right? Like that's just how it is. So how, like I say, and that's hard so for yeah, that's hard for so many people being that support. And I know for uh, myself and a lot of people, we always just want to fix. There's yeah. a and and the fix is through like good intent. It's not like we we do it out of uh, maliciously, but how. How did that come naturally for you? Just wanting to support I her, think, or I think so. I it's always been it's always been my thing. You know, I've always been the type of person that if you need something and you're kind to me, I'll give you 110 percent of me. If you mm-hmm. do me wrong, it's done. I, I, I'm I'm square straight up, just like that. That's how it is. Uh, because I I I very uh, you know I was the type of kid that I was alone growing up. I was. You know, I was the type of kid that always got picked on. I was the smallest kid in school all the time. And then one day I grew up and I said, never again. I, I'm not I'm not a weak person. I'm going to be the superhero. I'm going to be the one that people want to be around and, and, and stuff. And it took me into my 30s before I realized who I was. Right. So I, I, I went in my 20s and stuff like that. I used to ask my friends, I'm like, why do you hang out with me? Why? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at myself in the mirror. So like I said, the white the just the other day, you know, I, I, I shaved for uh, November and I said to her, I said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how much I look like Bart Simpson now. <laughs> you know, because that's exactly, I looked, I shaved and I looked in the mirror, oh, my goodness, I'm Bart Simpson. Right? That's, <laughs> that's how it turned, that's what I saw. And that's how I always portrayed myself even as a, as a kid, you know. I was a kid with the biggest glasses and I was the nerdiest looking kid. I didn't, what I realized now is I wasn't alone. <laughs> because um, every you're... kid in school was that nerd. Um, FYI, you're definitely not the one with the biggest glasses. I just don't wear my glasses because of the, the ring light, because I need lighting when right, I record. Right. So I just don't wear them. But like, these are what I wear, <laughs> not at the computer. So I might have you beat on the big glasses. But okay, that sorry. that's... <laughs> I do it on purpose. I love my big glasses. But I, I love that you 
you can see that in yourself and you're being that super human, human in general, that, that a question though, because I, this is a topic that we've, I've talked to a lot of men in mental health and just in general for, uh, I'll say the caregivers, the, the ones that provide the ones that are those heroes. Is it the type of thing that have you set those boundaries with others and learned how to take care of yourself? So your heroism doesn't burn out. Um, I just don't think it does. Okay. Uh, like today, I, I, you know, I, I do work for people and I, again, I go to work and I put in 110%. I felt one thing I had to cut back on was my, was playing sports because I'm not 24 years old anymore. And I've torn things in the back of the legs and I've been, oh no, I can't do that anymore. Right. But this is a mental thing. Uh, and to me, uh, putting up physical power to do stuff is a lot harder for me than mental, mental power. Yeah, uh, and I don't know why. Uh, I don't yeah. stress about things. Uh, a lot of things just don't bother me. You know, they just don't. And I have no idea why. Maybe because I choose that I know what stress can do to a person and I just choose mm-hmm. not to have it. And I can't control something that I just can't control. Something Peter and I talk about a lot is how different our families are. Um, the both of us had a father who was a mechanic, and we both adored our fathers. My father died in his at forty one of cirrhosis of the liver because he was an alcoholic, and Peter's father died uh, from diabetes. Yeah, at forty five. At forty five. So we both oh, lost wow. our father young, but we ha- he had he always says to me, I don't understand your childhood because I uh, was raised in such a loving, caring home. Mm-hmm. He never saw his parents fight. He never witnessed the things that I witnessed or suffered the tragedies that I've suffered and my siblings. And so we are always really struck by that. And we both feel, I think, that we were sent here to be together. We were sent mm-hmm. here to save each other. And our extremely opposite lifestyles are the reason that we can keep each other going, you know, because I mean, in this world, until you find your human, you're alone. Right. And, and it's interesting that you say that because I know this may be a controversial topic to some where they say you are complete even without your other half, because you're always a whole with, you're not just a half. And, and I agree with that in the fact that um, for myself, I wouldn't have been able to get back together with Tyler if I didn't break up with him to realize for myself that I can be loved. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. I didn't think I was worth it. Like I couldn't understand why he treated me so well. And Carrie, you and I talked about that a bit in our intro call that there's there's something else that really sticks out to me, especially because you talk about uh, like doing different jobs and things like that and being so, uh, I could say opposites maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always, agree with that. I always, uh, tell, like, I heard this phrase on, uh, the show Dexter and I kind of changed it a bit, but it's, um, I say, uh, Tyler is my, is my, the Zanny to my Red Bull. Like mm-hmm. he's so chill and, you know, just really calm. And I'm like, all over the place and high energy and he's my support in the world. He's my hero. And I love the way you talk about Peter because it really does remind me of 
how, who Tyler is in my life. Yet, as you talk about that, your lives were so different. For our audience, can you go into a bit and share what your life growing up was like, Carrie? Um, devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, you know, uh, my mother, I remember her being the perfect mother until I was about five years old. And when my mother changed, she changed so drastically that it has always had an impact on me. I have a lot of confusion about the change in my mother. Now I know my mother is a survivor of a lot of um, trauma in her life. Her father was in the war and suffered from um, what we now call post PTSD. And there are some atrocities I haven't been able to ever I'm just getting to know my mother's family now, so I won't say any of that because I don't know it to be true because I honestly don't know anything that my mother told me was true. My mother and father broke up when I was uh, five, five, six years old, and my father took all four of us until my mother uh, kidnapped my sister from school one day and took her to um, Ontario, which was another, you know, very traumatic thing for all of us. Um, then she came back. And um, I just remember waking up in the night and my mother was there and I heard my dad say she had come back to take me. And my dad said, if you're taking one, you're taking all. You're not splitting these kids up. So we all ended up moving with my mother for a time. That didn't go well. Well, we ended up back with dad. Living with my dad was amazing. He loved being a father. He loved his children. He always strived to be the very best in spite of his alcoholism. And it was a glorious time for me until my mother took me back and um, she fell in love with a pedophile. And, you know, she became a very abusive person, uh, beating on me and my siblings uh, for the tiniest of um, infractions, um, taking off for days at a time and leaving us with no food or money. Um, I remember one time we hadn't eaten four or five days. There's nothing in the house. So I think I was about 10 years old at that time and we went out and collected bottles on the side of the road and we got enough bottles to get um, a wonder sandwich, sandwich bread, wonder sandwich bread, the long one. The mm -hmm. four of us sat at the table and split it up and that was the first food we had had in how many days and you know it may have been two days but in my mind it was four or five as a child you know it all. And then she all of a sudden there she is on our living room floor screaming in pain because her and her husband had rolled the car and um, they had been drinking and driving and uh, they didn't want the police to know. So she came home. Eventually, she ended up in the hospital for a few days uh, when finally they realized they couldn't hide this from the police anymore. But anyway, going through our life, um, you know, he assaulted me. And um, when I finally got to the point that I was to tell her about that, um, she accused me. Honestly, I'm just going to be truthful here. Um, she told me I was a slut and to get the hell out of her house. And she dropped, she kicked me out on the front porch. It was winter. I remember it to be 20 below. Maybe it was only 10 below. I was a little girl. No coat, no shoes. She called my father. He was four and a half hours away and said, come and get this little slut. And he did. He got in his car and he came and got me. What I remember most is that my stepfather and my mother had brainwashed me into thinking that my father was a bad person. And my father came to uh, visit 
one day, pulled up at the house. I assumed that my mother wasn't letting him see us. We hadn't seen him in a long time. He just showed up and everybody was, you know, angry and pissed off that he was there. And um, uh, my mother said, while he was standing there, do you want to talk to him? And I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with him. And she said, who is your daddy now? And I said, he is to my stepfather. And I turned around and walked away from my father. And so when he showed up to pick me up off those um, steps, I felt like he had, he was my superhero. I didn't believe that it was, that I was worth it for him to show up. And when he asked me what had happened, I was not ready to talk. So I said that I didn't want to talk about it and he said, okay. And I remember in, it took me a couple of years to finally go to the police with what had happened. And I remember just lots of hugs and tenderness and caring from my father. Um, and from that point on, I never went back to my mom, although she tormented me for the rest of, for the rest of my alcoholic years. My mother tormented me and my siblings. Of course, I'm not saying much about them because it's their story to tell. But um, she, she's really um, still to this day, it's hard for me to understand her. Um, she, she's, she must have a lot of pain. You know, I've gone through periods of my life where I thought maybe she's still with him because she is. He, he went to jail for four years and she moved to the town where the jail was so that they could have visits on the weekends together. Um, she's with him now. Um, she denounces um, the, the proven allegations um, to this day. Um, I told myself that maybe she stays with him because um, she's afraid to leave. Maybe he's said that he'd kill us. I mean, he, he spent a lot of time saying he'd kill us. One time in my life, he actually did hold us at gunpoint hostage with uh, cops around, like, you know, a standoff. So he's capable of those things. And uh, so I imagined for a while that she was staying because he had said he'd kill us. And maybe, maybe... It is. Maybe she is just a victim, but uh, that is the uh, driving force in the reasons that I was so self-sabotaging was um, her and him um, and the trauma from my childhood. Wow. Sorry, that's, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> I know like this I'm is not... a harsh program and I want, I don't think that people can understand what you can come back from if they don't understand what I've come back from. Like, who am I to preach yeah. it? Right. And that, um, so that's the first time I've said this, my story, like in this type of platform. Um, and I intend to, for the rest of my life, shout it out. And you're right. I do think I'll write a book. One day. Um, I do hope you do. And go ahead. I just want, <laughs> I just want ch child people who are victims of childhood trauma. And there are so many of us. Um, I want everybody to know that there is a way to come back, but that does not have to be your story. Um, now in my life, I kind of treasure that story because I realized what I survived. And I realized, honestly, you know, you hear it all the time. It's a bit of a cliche for some, but if I hadn't been through that, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I truly believe that. So I do have a bit of thankfulness in my heart for that little girl that survived that type of situation. And I used that as my strength 
could be stronger all the time. I mean, there is nobody that can victimize or traumatize me now. And uh, when I come against bullies, as you do, no matter where you are in life or what you do, there are bullies. And when I come across those bullies, I'm not afraid of them. I'll just use my uh, wits to um, outsmart them. And our lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can say that, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you're getting mean to tear up. Uh, there's so many parts of your story that relates to that my story relates to yours and it's it's definitely one of the hardest things to work through and share your own story and it it is people like you that just the energy you had and we'll get into when you talk about your business and the way you talked about Peter and you talk about those around you that there's just so much hope that mm -hmm. it's like you can't when when I think of you, Carrie, I'm like, you know, Carrie has so much hope and good in the world that you can't take that away from her just because of what she's gone through. Mm -hmm. And that's the entire reason this podcast exists. And my goal is to not cry on the episode. <laughs> but um, like you might see me looking up a lot right now. Um <laughs> but I and thank you for that. And I, I'm going to ask a few more questions before we move on. Um, just because I really do want it to paint a picture of where you've been to where you're, you're at now, because it's so incredible. Um, you, you mentioned you were around the age of 10 when, um, you know, you had, I'll call it the, the bread situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, then it was after that, that your dad came to pick you up that night. And at what point, like what, when, how old were you when your dad died? And also how old were you when, what happened to get you to start drinking? So my dad died when I was 19. Um, with the drinking, um, the honest God truth is uh, as soon as I moved in with my dad, I would be sneaking his alcohol. Um, you know, he kind of knew. And my dad was quite a naive alcoholic where he thought he was such a nice man. Like he never had an um, angry bone in his body. So almost you couldn't even tell when he was drunk. I mean, after a few years, I could tell when he was drunk. There were subtle, subtle changes, but he just was nice. And he was just this normal, even keel person. Uh, many of his friends said, you know, like some were surprised that he was an alcoholic and others were just like, he could just never, Kim, Kim, his name was Kim. Kim could drink two, two sixes and he'd still be walking and talking fine, you know? So alcoholism, I knew, I began to realize when I moved in with my dad, what an alcoholic was and that my dad was an alcoholic, but it didn't occur to me that it was a bad thing. My mother and her um, husband were drunks. They were mean drunks, right? But my dad was this nice alcoholic. So alcohol wasn't um, a bad thing. Um, for my dad, it was a coping mechanism. Uh, my dad was absolutely in love with my mom and to the day he died, professed his love for her. That if she had come back any day, he would have taken her back. So I started, you know, taking drinks from my dad when I was 10. Um, by the time I was 12, I was drinking every weekend with my friends and sometimes on the weekdays if I could get away with it. And by the time I was 14, I couldn't live without drinking. I craved it. I had to have it. I would do whatever I had to do 
to find a way to um, be able to drink. Um, and my, you know, in my early years, it was binge drinking, it was weekend drinking. Um, and it was in the last five years that I drank every day if I could. And in my last year, I was either drunk or sober or drunk or hungover. So I, I think it was in the last five years that I realized that alcohol was not a good thing, <laughs> that it didn't make you a better person. It didn't make you funnier. It didn't make you happier that, you know, I had a lot of problems with depression over the years. And of course, everybody says alcohol is a depressant, but you don't understand that. You know, you don't understand that concept, especially when you're in the depths of it. I knew that I was worse off when I wasn't drinking. Then there was a, a short stint there when my teenage daughter was taken away that I did try to quit on my own. I actually went on those pills the doctor gives you uh, to not drink. And then I uh, very quickly figured out how many drinks I could actually have without having any problems. <laughs> and just for clarification, those are the ones that make you throw up if you drink, right? Yeah, everybody can have an adverse reaction. You can, you know, they're very, it's very dangerous to drink on them. But yeah, it's supposed to make you sick so that you won't want to drink. But I found a way to be able to drink it, uh, a little at a time and I built up a resistance. I would get a rash. And then I would tell people that I, you know, I'd get a rash from, from drinking while I was using those pills. And then I would tell people that um, I was having an outbreak, an um, allergic reaction, whatever it was. <laughs> like, it was, it's stupid looking back because I was really playing with um, death at that point. And then I did actually get sober for three months. And it was a glorious three months. I did that white knuckle all by myself. I was with the man that I had told you about um, that made it easy for me to drink. My kids were not there. I was up every morning out gardening and tending to my chickens and I was really, really happy except I had nothing. There was nobody. I mean, the one person in the world that was still in my life was in bed hungover and the first thing he did when he got up was grab a beer. So those weren't good three months, right? <laughs> but it was an attempt and I'm still proud that I managed to make those three months. Not as proud as I am of these six years, I'll tell you that. And the fact and that the difference the difference between then and now is that then I was trying to stay, stay sober and now I, I am sober and I, you couldn't, you could not convince me to take a drink. I love that. I, I like that differential of trying to stay sober and you saying that you are sober and, and that brings back, brings us back to a bit more current of, uh, because we had to go back in the past to get to where we are now. You two just moved in together. And you're still an alcoholic and he's starting to find that out. And I know you were doing dishes. And if you could tell us mm -hmm. a bit more about that story and where yeah. things progressed from there. That was the worst and the best day of my life, I think. Um, I woke up in the morning the night before we had gone to my, my stepmom's house, who's really not my stepmom at all. She spent some time with my dad when I was a very young girl, when my parents first broke up and I really liked her back then. I like, I loved her. My mother hated that, but she ended up having my dad's son. So we kept in contact over the years because like my brother, she's my brother's mom and I call her my stepmom. And we became close um, when I moved back to Alberta to try and figure out my life. And we had gone to her place one night. Her and I really liked to drink together. Um, and 
we went to her place and I don't know, we were talking about uh, wedding plans. And um, I, I remember standing up from the table to go to the kitchen to get a drink. I blacked out and to this day, I have no idea what I did, but I know that I said something terrible. Um, and um, so I woke up in the morning and I just had this feeling of dread that anybody who's an alcoholic or was an alcoholic understands this feeling where you're like, you get up and you check your phone to see if you texted somebody you shouldn't have. You know, you're checking to see who you might have called. You're trying to figure out what it was because you have this feeling of dread that you said or did something stupid last night. And um, I called my stepmom and I think at that point she hadn't answered the phone. Um, I called Peter at work and said, is everything okay? I'm trying to find out if there's a problem without actually acknowledging that there's probably a problem. How are you doing? He's like, no problem. Everything's great. I'll see you when I get home. And then my brother, her son, messaged me and said, if you ever talk to my mother like that again, that will be the last time that I ever speak to you. You have no right to treat her that way. And I was just like, oh, I did something, right? I messaged him back and said, what did I do? And he said, if you don't know what you did, that's not my problem. So I spent the whole day trying to figure out how I was going to make this better. Nobody would talk to me. Nobody was answering their phone. My uncle wasn't answering the phone. My brother wasn't answering the phone. I knew I'd done something terrible. So I was standing there doing dishes and I was thinking about Peter and thinking that, you know, at least I still have Peter. If everybody else is mad at me, at least I still have Peter. He was nice to me when I called him. And I thought, oh no, what if Peter says to me, you have to get sober or else I'm going to leave you. And then I realized there was no way I wanted that to be our story. I didn't want, when people asked what kept us together or, or what was, you know, magical about our relationship, I didn't want to say, Peter said that I had to be sober or he's leaving, so I got sober. I never wanted that to be our story. So I immediately in that moment um, called the crisis line and asked for help. And then things went really fast from there. <laughs> they got me um, an appointment with an addictions counselor like two days later. She got me into rehab. It just went and went and went. But a key factor is that in those few days, um, after seeing the uh, counselor and waiting to go to rehab, my baby brother stopped by the house. He was there on it. He was on his way to church. And I said, can I go with you to church? And he said, of course, but he was shocked. And I went there and they played or they sang this hymn. And in the hymn, it kept talking about being worthy. And that just got to me, like crushed me, crumbled me. I went to the bathroom crying. I was just like, all of a sudden I realized what my problem was. My problem was, was that I didn't find myself worthy. And from that moment was when I realized that I needed to start to love myself. And that now it all sort of snowballs because I've got all these things happening all around me and they are all pushing me to sobriety. Thank goodness. But the, you know, it wasn't the fear of losing Peter that got me sober. It was the fear of tarnishing what we have. You know, I wanted, I wanted us to have a love story. I love your love story. And we're just still at the beginning. Uh, yes, I know. We still have so much. <laughs> and 
you called the like support line and Peter, where are you during all of this? Like, what is this looking like for you? Yes. You said that you'll go to AA with her and you'll be there for yeah. her, but that's gotta be a shocker. Um, you know, I don't think that anything really shocks me. You know, I think not knowing is, can be, is about the extent of it, but anything's possible. Uh, you know, I've always said, I've said, I've said for a long time, I said, the only thing stopping is the word can't. I have a question. Do you yeah. remember that day? What day? The day that I called the crisis line? Yeah, you told me you were going to, um, from what I can recall. Um, it, to me, it was just, she called somebody, had a conversation. Um, then when she told me that she, you know, as it started progressing and she's going to go to treatment, I'm like, okay. It, 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 it's pretty simple to me. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? If she wants it, she can have it. And, and that's just it, you know? And I've always said, I said, I'll back her play. Whatever your play is, I'm going to back you. Yeah, and he does. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just it. I said, because I trust her judgment. She's, she's a better judge of everything than I am. You know, like, you know, it, she may say that, you know, I, you know I, I've done this for her. What she's done for me in my life and where she's put me, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, she, I, people will be like, uh, you know, I'll be like, I'll be like, yeah, I'm like Superman, but my wife's the kryptonite. <laughs> You know, and and that's it. She honestly, she's like the only person in this world I'm afraid of because if I do anything wrong by her, that's going to affect me, you, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. All I all I want, it, it, if my wife's proud of me, I'm doing my job. You know, and you know, happy wife, happy life, and it's it's true. You know, and that's all I want. I just want my wife to be happy. If she's happy, then I'm doing my job. Pretty awesome. And I get a man that knows. That the way that he's going to be happy is if I'm happy. That's a pretty, uh, pretty awesome thing to find. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I can just hear how she talks about you too, and wanting you to find happiness in yourself too. And being, and at least that's what I hear, especially with her wanting to get sober by herself is wanting to find happiness in herself and you finding happiness in yourself. So you two are happy together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, you know, the, to, we're one in one, but this one in one makes three. Mm -hmm. You know, right? It's 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 unbeatable. You know, I haven't. You know, other than you know, they, they there's like the you know power couples and stuff like that. But we do everything together as one. No matter what, we you're do, a team, you know, right? Not that it was always easy when we first started our business. Uh... I fired Peter quite a few times. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and that is a perfect, yeah, we're not perfect segue. We have our problems too, but we understand at the end of the day that it's it's the two of us. And and that is a perfect segue. Pardon me. <laughs> I said that's a perfect uh, segue of you're starting to go to treatment, and you just mentioned starting a business together. So how do we go A to B? Mm -hmm. Well, we uh, gave it, um, it was probably about a year. When, when I came out of treatment, um, the first year was a struggle. It was really, really tough. You know, we were doing better because how could you not be? I suddenly wasn't spending uh, $100 a night on alcohol and smokes and all of this stuff. Um, I was really famous for giving away my money when I was drinking or, um, you know, paying for other people's needs once. So um, we were saving money that way, and um, 
we, Peter, we went home for Christmas and home being back to BC. So to Peter's home and he, he had a daughter, she was seven at the time. She lived in Abbotsford. It was, we fly out three, four times a year to see her, but he just realized he needed to be closer to his daughter. So he told me, um, that he wanted to move back and I said, okay, let's do it. So we moved back to BC and to Abbotsford, which was where all of my um, adulthood trauma comes from, right? Like when I was drinking as an adult and raising my kids in a very, um, in a way I'm not proud of. So, but I was white knuckling it because I wanted Peter to be near his daughter. And um, I really, I didn't see that I was going to fail at sobriety, but being sober is not about just not drinking. It's about being happy and healthy and, and emotionally strong. And I was not emotionally strong there. I was just, I was getting by day by day and I just didn't feel like it was where I would have a happy existence, where I would have a, a comfortable existence. And uh, so the stepmother had moved to this beautiful little town in the Okanagan called Karameas and she kept bugging us to come and visit her. It's so funny because we just had an old beater of a car that we were so afraid to take out of town because it would just probably fall apart and on the side of the road. So that was the first time, the first vehicle. Yeah. Did you buy it or did I? Yeah, I did. So yeah. <laughs> I, I've been looking at cars and of course, you know, bad credit, no credit. You can have whatever you want. So I ended up calling a company and I said to her, I said, um, this company called me and I don't know if I should tell you, but I'm looking at buying a car. And they called me and they've approved me. So what do you think? And she's like, well, okay, we need a car if we're going to do this trip because we're not doing a no $500 meter, right? It's a three-hour drive both ways through the mountains. So you either make it or you don't. <laughs> so we ended up getting this car, and we were we did we did six weekends straight where we had finished work Friday afternoon, go home, everything was packed, we get in the car, and we drive to Caramias. We spend the weekend, we go home Sunday night and go to work Monday. And we did that for six weeks in a row. We loved it. We just wanted to be there. We just loved Caramia. So I started looking for a job there. Oh, wait. Yeah, can't miss the story. Okay, go ahead. So we're on our way home the sixth, the sixth <laughs> weekend. And I looked at her and I said, you know, this is a pretty nice drive, isn't it? She's like, yeah. I said, I'm getting pretty used to it. I go, what do you think if we just move here instead? We hate Abbotsford. We don't want to be there. You know, it's, it's gross. All it does is rain. Here, here it rains, I think, four or five times a year, maybe, maybe, maybe two weeks out of the year it rains. Uh, so let's move here. So when we got home, I went to work Monday. I gave my notice uh, that I was leaving. She started looking for a job. Three weeks later, we moved to the Okanagan. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we moved to Alberta and BC. Yeah, we did that in, I think, three weeks. We are the type of people who see opportunity and go for it. We don't wonder or hesitate. Um, we understand that the only direction is forward. So um, I just started, I said, okay, well, I'll see if I can get a job. Well, I got two, two jobs. <laughs> and so we had a friend who had a camper for a camper to lend us because we couldn't get into a home until uh, six weeks after we wanted to be there to start work. So we stayed in this, our friend's camper for six weeks. And um, boy, we had no idea what, we had no idea what was going to happen to us. We just thought we were just going to a nicer geographical location. 
the um, thing about Karameas was that um, the opportunities for Peter and I being young enough, it's kind of a retirement town. Uh, we're young enough. We are go-getters. We, we, we work. That's what we do. We understand. Well, I don't even know if it's understanding. We know that we'll go crazy if we're not working. It's how we were raised. So we work hard and we are loyal people. Um, the one thing that we found out was people just in Karameas and in the Okanagan generally are so excited if, if you show up. So we started this um, business. It started as we were just doing favors for the neighbors and for our friends. And, you know, the next thing we know, they said, you should be, you should make this into a business. And uh, the realtors in town started to find out about what we were doing and asking if they could refer us to their friends. And within uh, six months of that, I suddenly had to make the decision would I quit my full time, beautiful four on four off scheduled job to um, go for my business. And um, actually, it was a family tragedy that helped me make that decision in that um, my nephew's daughter had um, passed away at 63 days old. And Ooh. we I needed to be with my sister. And for one day of work, my um, my work told me I could not go to be with my family because this wasn't considered immediate family. And um, that if I did go, that I would be penalized. And of course I went and told them, you know, to kiss my ass. And, uh, <laughs> and that's when I realized that I never wanted to be a number. I didn't want anybody to tell me that my family wasn't important enough to take a day off work. I wanted a better life for me and my family. So um, that was right about the time when I was really not sure if I should go for my business or not. That made the decision. And so I went for my business. I hired my first employee and life went crazy after that. <laughs> we, uh, we, we both just got tired of working for people that give you empty promises. You know, well, we're the greatest company in the world. You'll have everything you ever wanted. You know, you get your raises every three months. Well, I worked for companies for 10 years and got two raises, you know, and I gave them everything I had, you know, and it didn't matter. I, we had, they fired, there was one day they fired the guy that was doing the afternoon shift. He was the head of the afternoon shift. They fired him because uh, he's made some derogatory comments to an employee. So I fired him on the spot. I went in to do my shift the next morning and they tell me that they fired him the night before. So I said, oh, so I guess I need to go to afternoons then. So to pick up the slack because they had enough people during the day, but nobody wants to work afternoons. So I took it, right? Didn't mean anything. There wasn't more money. It just meant that I was doing something to help with the company and it just went to the wayside like everything else. And we swore, well, if we do this, we're not doing it that way. You have yeah. to, you know, if you, you've got to treat your employees with respect, you got to, you got to have things that go for it. And everything that she's poured into it has made it that way, you know? Like all these people that work for us are like our kids. That's and they, I feel like feels, right? I feel like our audience might be at a disadvantage at this point. They don't know what your business is because they didn't hear the part before the podcast started. Uh, you know, Roland, of how I'm horrible, absolutely the worst at cleaning. So please tell us about your business. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> so our business uh, actually it really started out as a small renovation and cleaning business. So the idea was that Peter would do small renovations. He was a drywaller by trade. 
that he would help out with small renovations and I would come in after and clean. And we thought this would be like the perfect um, husband-wife business. Easy. We could work together. We would know each other's schedule. Um, no worrying about it when the contractor is going to be done because I'd be there to crack the whip. And um, <laughs> um, that's not what happened. Um, what happened was that the cleaning side of the business took off. Like just, just took off. We just, I was getting so many calls. I didn't know what to do um, because I think, you know, I always thought it was maybe an Okanagan thing, but I think it's actually uh, um, the entire uh, country thing that, the idea of um, having a cleaning company has changed so much that these days what people end up with, it's like a maid service type thing where people just run in and quickly dust, vacuum and leave. But my service um, is a deep down cleaning service where we're cleaning the corners and edges. We're doing deep cleaning and there's a need for that because that skill has been lost in um, the my generation and the generation um behind me this Thank is like you. the clicks the claps the i'm the worst at it my uh mm -hmm. my best friend um i have i have a few of them two of them i call my sisters uh she is does the um house cleaning for the hospitals so she really mm -hmm. understands that deep cleaning and uh that is why i'm like cheering over here because it is a lost skill that she has and i know like i've seen the difference like she comes to visit me now and she's like Jen, I'm cleaning your bathroom. I'm like, why? It's fine. And she'll be like, because it needs to be cleaned. And that's what I do. She's like, that's who I am. I'm like, okay. I understand her completely. And uh, you can let her know that if she ever wants to get into her business for herself, I can help her because it sounds like she's got the skills that are needed. And I'll tell you, you can be very successful. I, I will let her know. I will definitely, because she'll be listening to this episode. So I will let her know, but that is a lost skill. How, how do you hire people with that? And do you end up teaching them the skills? It's so interesting. I was just talking about this today. It is funny in my first year of uh, business, when I was first hiring employees, the thing that shocked me the most was that people don't just know how to do it. Um, I'd hire people who said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm OCD. I love to clean. And I'd get them to work with me. I'd be training them. And they really, they, they really do not understand. They don't know how to look for the hidden dirt or, or, you know, be diligent enough to not leave anything behind. That is a skill that has to be taught. And I teach it to every single employee. Even I have employees that come to me with years of experience and um, I have to completely retrain them because um, sometimes they come from, with years of experience from places that don't um, value deep cleaning. So places that are pushing them to go faster, 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 rather than make sure that it's done right. And so I have to teach them to slow down. And then I have to teach them to be in the moment and worry about this job and worry about this room, like micromanage it so that they can learn to slow down and do a wonderful job. And um, the training the training that um, we provide our employees is really tiring, like really in-depth and really tiring, but the result is really amazing. Um, these amazing cleaners. Um, I love the way that our communities, and I say communities because we're in five or six different communities now. I love the way that they see us and how they see 
my employees, you know that I have employees who have different struggles in life. I have young and old and I have mentally, um, mental, mental, I hate to say disability, mental ability. Um, they have emotional issues. Um, we actually have in the past, we still have them on staff, but women leaving um, abusive relationships who need to kind of, this is the perfect job because they can hide um, mm -hmm. in the job. Um, our oldest employee is 73. Our youngest is 18. And all of these people who I would say probably are expected to not be achievers are blossoming and amazing in their lives, um, taking control of their lives and um, understanding that they can be so much more than whatever it is that their trauma from childhood has taught them is all they are. Um, and this is what I'm most proud of. What I'm most proud of is being able to empower people to go after their dreams. So it's funny, we, we actually have one of our employees now who she's been with me the longest. Um, I consider her family. Um, she has just come to me and told me that she wants to uh, take a draw, dog grooming course and um, change her shop into a, a doggy spa. And of course she should, because she's amazing with animals. That's her, that's her passion. Like, and she was afraid to talk to me because she was afraid I'd be upset. And to tell you the truth, for a few days, I went into a bit of a depression because I realized that she was moving on. And now we don't expect anybody to want to clean for the rest of their life. We know that we are a stopping place, that we are a place for people to stop and gather who they are and then rebound from. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, today I talked to her. She's, she's, today she got, uh, we have a bonus program and she got the entire full bonus. She earned, and she was so excited. She's clapping. Well, I have been, uh, I sold her car on payments and she paid off her car today with her bonus. And she's so excited and happy about that. Been such a great interview. And then I said to her, tell me about what's happening with this doggy spa thing. And she said, she's officially enrolled in school. And I said, you know, I bet you Peter would love to come and help you change, change your shed into a, into a doggy spa. And she got so excited. She said, I really hoped he would be able to help me. I just, it would mean so much to me if Peter helped me do that. And you could just see this relief in her because I think we were both feeling a little down about the fact that she's obviously moving on. But the relief in her when she realized that we'll support her no matter what. That's how we are with all of our um, employees. One of the first things we ask them is, what are, your, what are your goals in life and how can I help you get there? And that's amazing. Just hearing how, how going from... It, it just both of you, like you both went through loss and yes, you had different upbringings, but hearing about yours, Carrie, and, and going from, uh, you know, the abuse and the not knowing where your next meal is coming from the, the aloneness and, and also the coping of alcohol and the abuse in relationships and then growing into the relationship you have now and your business is, is growing. And just seeing the two of you is like, as you talked about your employees blossoming, you two are blossoming together. Mm -hmm. And that, that is so powerful. And 
I bet. Is that yeah. why, why you wore like a flowery shirt? Like it's not quite flowery. It's like leaves kind of, but yeah, looks was, a little flowery. Yeah. I was kind of giving myself um, heck when we got here that I forgot to change my shirt. I wanted to wear this hip kind of upbeat shirt because I did uh, staff um, reviews all day, bonus reviews today. And um, people are afraid when they come into those meetings and they shouldn't be because I love to give them bonuses. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I just thought, well, oh, this might make them like cheery. And then when I got home, I forgot to change my shirt. So when I was looking at my shirt, I was like, oh, man, should I wear something a little less uh, vibrant? But <laughs> No, I love it. I uh, And this is a... Um... So I do still work full time. And then I have my my podcast that normally that go around my work schedule. And uh, I don't get ready for work. Because I have all zoom meetings, I work from home, like I can do a lot of it. But as soon as I have a podcast episode that I have to record, I'm like, Oh, gotta go get ready. So it's 730pm. And I'm doing my hair and makeup. And as soon as we get done, I'm gonna go take it all off. And that's, <laughs> that's the fun thing about it, though, is it's learning really, and this is a lot of what I'm hearing about you and bringing it back to what you just started, the art of surviving or and survival and taking that to learn to blossom to what works best with you and being able to encourage others. Because mm -hmm. I know just hearing your story, Carrie, like you seriously had me tearing up there, like thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Peter, hearing how supportive you are, it how do I say it? It, it makes me because I'm still going to struggle with worthiness. You know, that's, as that's going to be something I work on my entire life and hearing how you support Carrie, Peter, you, I believe in my own worth because I see how Tyler supports me through everything and does it so unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've gone from, you know, from, some of the beginning to where you guys are at now. And before we end the episode, is there anything that you two wanted to touch base on that we didn't talk about? You go first. Anything? Well, you, like, uh, you know, we, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I was married for eight years before this. Um, and I thought that I was done. You know, I had, a, I had my daughter uh, about a year after I got married. Um, but it was never right. It was never right. And then when she left, I was like, I, I was, I was devastated. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, I was, I was working, a, I was just working a little $14 an hour job and, you know, just doing, doing my daily stuff and not really a carer, you know, not, not, not having anywhere to go or anywhere to be. And it just, it just felt right when I, when I met Carrie, you know, like, it uh everything like say it, it the conversation was the most amazing thing i'd ever had in my life uh where i could say something and she'd have a comeback right after it you know? and it was all through text so <laughs> it, you know you could you could read this stuff and you could go back and read it again you're just laughing and we're having a great time and i never had that before you know it, it was so easy and uh you know, like i said i just kept going back to it you know when, after we had our first date uh, some of the boys that I worked with asked me, how was it? And I said, you know, or how was she? I said, well, I said, take me. And, and she's the girl version. I said, that's exactly what I got out of it. And that's how we are. You know, everything is so easy. You know, uh, 
You want to go over for dinner? Yeah, sure. We're going. It doesn't really matter. As long as we're together. It doesn't matter what we do, where we go, or anything. As long as we get to do it together. Yeah, I had to go and do a job, and I was away overnight. And I hated it. I didn't sleep. I don't like that. I want to be home with my wife every yeah. day. We're pretty sappy. We, yeah. we don't <laughs> understand people who can uh, work apart or live apart. You know, there was there were those times in in the beginning of working together that were pretty tough when we had to get used to the differences between the male and the female brain and how men see things differently than women do. Um, trying to figure out, like, trying to decode what we meant when we were talking about business. Like, that was uh, quite the thing. And I don't think we're not really good at it now. It's just we actually got to a point where we had a conversation and I said, we need to decide who's boss in our business. And if it's me, which it needed to be me, because honestly, I'm, I'm actually better at it than he is. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the worker. Yeah. I'm just the worker. That's what I am. That's what I, that's what, that's what I am. So, so I said, we need to decide who's boss. And if that's me, then you need to let me be boss. And so then things started to work out in business once we, we realized that we had to claim our roles. And that made it a lot easier for us. But that's not what I want to leave here. Um, what I really want to leave here is I just want, I want anybody who suffered um, in their life to understand that there is a way through it and that there's somebody out there who's going to help you get there. Um, my biggest thing was that I was pushing Peter away because I knew he was the key somewhere deep inside. I knew he was the key to me surviving being an alcoholic. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now, but I know that I always call my alcoholism the monster. And the monster does not want me to be happy. It doesn't want me to have a fulfilled life. It doesn't want me to be loved. It wants to control me. And that monster knew that Peter was not going to be its friend. And so I ran from Peter. I lied to Peter. I pushed him away until like the universe put him in my face and said, this, this is happening, like it or not, here he is. Um, that if people could understand that when you are at the depths of your despair, when things seem so bleak, look around you and figure out who it is that your alcoholism or your addiction or your fear hates the most. And that's probably the person who's going to help you. And then go with it. Just go with it and know that you can survive this and then you can start to live. The amount of living that I've done in the last six years as compared to the, um, the 27 years I was an alcoholic, unbelievable, unbelievable, the living that I'm doing. I'm traveling. I've got a successful business. I've got, um, my kids are back. My grandchildren are back. My, grandchildren. my kids are back. I, I, <laughs> I didn't have a relationship with either of my boys for years. You know, I, once I had my daughter, my, my boys are in their late 20s and 30s now. And my daughter being just 14, I figured it out. You know, so I made sure that that wasn't going to happen with her. Of course, now it's happening now that she's going to be 14, but that's the different story. <laughs> um, but it, 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 it's amazing. You know, like, they look to us now for yeah. that guidance, all of them. So when it's darkest, um, you know, I guess there's that saying, it's always darkest before the light. I think that's really, really true. And um, it's important to know it, to just just keep moving forward and reach out. And then, you know, on the other hand, when you finally do get through it, 
help as many people as you can. That is my mission in life, to help as many people as I can. I want to empower people to um, find some form of happiness, regardless of the way they were treated in their in their life. I love that. And thank you. And you basically already answered the next question, which is any words of encouragement for the audience. So just to make sure we don't skip over that, anything you wanted to add there? I think that I've said that. It's just, I guess I, I always say this. I don't know if I've said it yet today, but I always say the sky is not the limit. Just keep going. You know, there's, there's no limit to what you can succeed. That is somewhat slightly creepy in the fact I was listening to a science versus episode, which is a podcast on Spotify right before this, our recording. And it's talking about the guy that stayed in space for a year. Mm-hmm. And now you're just saying that the sky's not the limit. You're right. We got space. We got planets. We got other solar systems. Like, whew, yeah. bringing that all back around. Yeah. Open and up. there's so much more. What are is something that you both are grateful for? Like one from each of you, please. And if you want to do a third one, you can do a third one together. <laughs> well, it, it, the easiest one is that we're grateful for each other. But that being aside, I think everybody knows that just from this interview. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, know I am really grateful um, to have my children and my grandchildren in my life. I am eternally grateful. I still have days where I honestly don't feel that I really deserve it. Peter will always tell me, of course you do, but um, I I hurt my children. I wasn't um, physically abusive, or I don't believe that I was emotionally abusive, but I was an emotional drunk, and my children had to watch that. They had to see me in those um, those darkest spots in my life, and I'm so grateful that they are trying to forgive me. Um, I think they are, they say they've forgiven me, but I think that overcoming the trauma that your mother has put on you takes a lot more than, um, a couple of years of sobriety. So I'm just so grateful that they've given me another chance. Anything else you want to add, Peter? (laughs) It's, you know, I think to me, it's just, it's just been so fun. You know, all of it, because when we first got together, she did. She wasn't talking to her kids and and I wasn't talking to my boys. And and it 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 was it was just the two of us, really. And then and my daughter, whenever. Well, even that when I moved to Alberta, I didn't see my daughter for six months. Her mom kept her from me. She's like, you left. You don't get her. You you left her behind, you know. So then we started processes, right? I started going to courts and, and getting my getting my rights back and, and being like, okay, this is what the courts say, so you better start doing it. And she did, right? So it, I think, I'm, I, like I said, I'm grateful for her because without her, I would not be where I am. I would still be making $20 an hour. I'd be sitting at home playing video games 24-7, and that would be it. And I probably wouldn't have the relationship with my daughter that I do have, or with my sons for that matter. Or my grandkids, or any of that. That's 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 her. You know, she. Because to me, it was easy for me to turn my hands up and go, "Okay, fine, you're done. I'm done too. I don't care. I don't." I I I said it a long time ago. I said, "I don't need anybody to to give me the justification of my life. I, I can do that on my own. That's easy. You know, I've lived with I lived with a dog for ten years. I had nobody in my life for ten years." And I was cool with that. I can go live in the bush and build a cabin and live there 
by a creek and be happy. Uh, that's me. But this is way better. <laughs> you know? So, so that's, that's, that's it. That's my, that's my greatness, you know? Um, I love it. And, and thank you yeah. both for taking a chance on doing this episode and Peter for joining in on this crazy idea and doing the episode with mm-hmm. Carrie and Carrie, thank you for opening up. And I know that mm-hmm. it's so hard to share those deepest, darkest, scary moments because they're hard to relive and they're hard mm-hmm. to share. And I, I appreciate that so much. And I'm grateful for both of you. And I look forward to keeping in touch and thank you both for joining so much. Thank, thank you. you. I really hope that people will um, understand that we need to talk about these things in order to heal. And I think just one more thing, uh, you know, for, for me being on this side of it, you know, because I, I do hear this stuff, you know, and I, I adore this woman and it's, I think it's hard. You know, I know that a lot of people don't want to express it to their significant other being, they don't want them to think that we're going to think less of them or, or something in that regard. And I'll tell you right out that for a man, the biggest thing is the fact that I think that for us, if we are that, that person in their lives, um, is that we weren't there to help them when they needed it, you know? And so that's how I always feel. That's, that's always the emotion I get for myself, right? Is that, man, I wish I was there to help her then, you know? Jen, thank you so much for having us. We've, uh, I'm sure that we're going to be talking all night about this because it's opened <laughs> up some new conversation for us. But um, we really appreciate you hearing our story. You are very welcome. We appreciate you listening to the episode. Please like, follow, and share on our social media at shit to talk about. That is shit the number two talk about. Stay tuned on Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. This episode was made possible by production manager Trom Nguyen, business manager Bill Powell, and your host Jen.